Well, turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're continuing, of course, our study of Paul's letter to his friend and fellow worker, Timothy. Now, he writes this letter really for two reasons. I want to show you this. One is to encourage Timothy, and number two is to give instructions to the church at Ephesus. Now, when he writes to encourage Timothy, that's for all of us. We look at this and the things that he tells Timothy, we can make application in our own lives. The second thing, though, when he writes to the church at Ephesus, we as a local church, countryside, we can say, okay, we want to take the truths and principles that are found in this letter, and we want to make sure that we as a church are doing the things that we're supposed to do so we can learn so much. Now, in this section, the last section beginning with chapters 5 and 6 really kind of goes together and he's dealing with relationships. And we've seen all different kind of things about the men and women and the, the, the widows and leaders and we're going to see things about false teachers and all those kind of things again. Well, in this passage, he's continuing, the one we're looking at this morning, he's continuing to deal with leadership. And what we want to do is three things. Let me show you this. We're going to just have a brief review of elders. Just touch on that. Then we're going to see that he gives some advice to Timothy, which is both spiritual and physical. And we'll see how that ties together. And then final instructions for elders is dealing with their character, sin and good works, and about lifestyle. And we can make some really application from that. So the goal is that we would look at this passage and we'd gain a great deal. Now... There's a famous truth from the Bible that most of you know, some of you may not have understood it, but it's found in Galatians 6, verses 6 and 7. It's the principle of sowing and reaping. He says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. In other words, whatever you put in, that's ultimately what you're going to get out. The great truth from God's word is this principle. And the passage states this. It goes on to say that if you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit, you reap life. In other words, what you put in, as you go through your lives, if you live by the flesh, there's going to be corruption in your life and corruption for the future, in a sense. And then if you live in the power of the Holy Spirit, there's going to be life now and even rewards later on. So how we live now has results. How we live now has results now and for the future. If we live in the flesh on the earth now, there will be, there'll be consequences. There'll be consequences of the flesh, and not only now, there'll be a, in the future there'll be a loss of rewards. If you live in the power of the Holy Spirit, there will be blessing now and even rewards later. And we'll talk more about that in just a little bit. He actually says in this passage that the way people live, sometimes they can hide it. If they've got sin in their life, it's hidden, but it will eventually come out. And when they do good, most, a lot of people can see it, but sometimes it's hidden, it will also come out as well. Lifestyle cannot be hidden over a period of time. He's dealing with leadership, and he's really saying, before you put somebody in leadership, make sure you know their life. And we'll talk about that when we get there. As we look at this, we can apply this ourselves. That we can say, what about our lives? How are we living? Each of us will give an account of ourselves. Now, there's going to come a time, and we'll talk more about it later on in the passage. There's going to be a time in which you will stand before your Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm talking to all of us who have trusted in Christ as Savior. We have eternal life. We're, We're going to be with Him forever. There's going to come a time you will stand before Him. And it's called the judgment seat of Christ, and we'll talk more about that in a little bit. It's the whole idea of what we put in, we get out, we reap. Uh, what we sow, we'll see that. Well, let's begin. Paul is writing this last section dealing with relationships. He's dealt with widows and elders, and then he's going to talk about slaves and masters and false teachers and rich and poor. In fact, at the very end of chapter 6, it's really powerful because the last part of chapter 6 all deals with money and possessions and materialism and all those kind of things. There's some great truths 
that we can apply right there in our lives. Now, he's dealing with leaders, leaders in the church, and he's talking about elders. We already know that there are two different offices of leaders in the church, elders and deacons, as found in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Well, in chapter 5, he actually is dealing specifically with elders. That's men. In fact, if you want to say elders are mature men raised up by God to oversee the body as they shepherd the flock. That's what they do. Mature men. Now, here's what we're going to do. And I mentioned this a while ago. Let me break down the passage for you. I'm going to give you a brief review of the elders. We're actually going to get going with chapter 20, with uh, uh, verse 22, but we're going to go back to 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. Just a quick review so you can see about how he deals with elders. Then he gives the advice to Timothy, both spiritually and physically. That's really the last part of 22 and, and, and all of chapter 20, uh, all of verse 23. And then the final aspects of lifestyle regarding those in leadership, sin and good works in their life. But the truth is, we can make application in our lives even right now. Well, he started with elders. And a lot of times you say, well, what, you know, why do I need to know that? Well, because the leadership of the church sets the whole standard for the church. If you raise up godly men in places of leadership in a church, the church will function the way it's supposed to. It will do the right things. If you have leaders that are not the way they're supposed to be, the church will suffer. The local body will suffer. Well, in this section, he dealt, it was very, very practical. He dealt with three things about the elders. Paying the elders, discipline, the discipline of the elders, and the appointment of elders. Those were the three things. I'm going to go through this very, very quickly, but elders are so important. Leadership is so important because they set the direction of the church, they lead in ministry, and they oversee and protect the flock. That's why they're so vital. Now, what we saw last time in verses 17 and 18, he said that there are elders that are to be paid. In fact, the pain of the elders, they get double honor. Double honor meant respect and pay. There were two types of elders, serving elders and teaching elders. There were certain elders who have different gifts where they actually get to teach the Bible. That's me. I have the gift of pastor-teacher. I'm an elder in this church, but I also get to teach the Bible. So on Sunday morning and Sunday night and different times, I get to be the one to teach. He says that the people who get to teach and who have those gifts are to get paid. In fact, if you notice, it says in verse 18, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing and the laborer is worthy of his wage. Bottom line is that some elders who do teaching, they get paid. In fact, so you could put it this way, pay those who are the teaching elders. Now, that's me. So first of all, I'd like to thank you so much for paying me. And I would ask you if you'd keep on doing that, okay? So I, I really appreciate that. There, there's a second thing that he talks about, and that's if what if elders get into trouble? What if they don't do things right? What if they have sin in their life? And so the second thing was the, dis the discipline of elders. And he said, first of all, if there's going to be an accusation against the elder, it has to be at least two or three. You can't have just one person say something about a leader in a church. You can't do that. There's got to be two or three people saying this is what's actually going on. Because that, that way just some person's rumor or some people who make up something won't be the thing. Second is, if there's something wrong, there has to be a public rebuke. And the reason that is because people in leadership in churches are in a public position. And so if there's something wrong, there has to be a public rebuke. And then the third thing that has to happen, that when you deal with them, it can't be biased or partial. In other words, you can't already judge beforehand and you can't show partiality. It has to be dealt with accurately. So we saw that 
of the last couple of weeks. The final thing was the one that we just basically ended with last time, and that's verse 22. And we read that this morning. That is the appointment of elders. And he does, he says this, Do not appoint anyone too hastily. There must be time for examination. Notice verse 22. Do not lay hands on anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. And then he says to Timothy, Keep yourself free from sin. So bottom line is he says, Don't lay hands on anyone too hastily. That means... Don't put somebody in a position of leadership too quickly. In that day and time, and even today, that if if we were ordaining someone in our church, we might bring that person, we would have a special service, and then the leaders in this church would go lay hands on that person. That was signifying that we as a church are setting apart this person and we're recognizing this person in their gifts, talents, and abilities and leadership. He's saying in the same way, don't lay hands on somebody. Don't put somebody in a place of leadership too quickly. You must have time to examine their lives. You have to do that. Because sometimes, as the passage will tell us, sometimes people have sin in their life and they hide it very well. It will eventually come out. And he says you must take the time to look at people's lives before you put them in a place of responsibility. We do it at Countryside. We have people who are elders and deacons, and before they come into a position of leadership, we look at them, we look at their lives. Uh, once About once a year, the body nominates men who they feel like fit the characteristics of 1 Timothy chapter 3 and that they can be in leadership. But even when they're nominated, the leaders look at these people and they look at their lives. And sometimes there are people we say, we really love you, but we need more time to look at your life. And so we do that. Notice a, a very powerful statement. He says, do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Meaning that if you put somebody in leadership too quickly and they mess up, you're partly responsible for that. We as a church would be responsible. I told a story a couple of weeks ago. There is a, there's a friend that I know that they're in a church or they were in the church and the pastor of that church has gone off the deep end. He's moved away from the Bible. He's caused division in the church and the whole church has all kind of troubles. And so he's, he's really doing badly. And so a lot of people have left the church and a lot of things like that. The church that ordained this man, as you know, before, when a guy gets ordained, it is a local church that ordains. The church that ordained this man has, has written and said, we rescind our ordination of this man because he's not doing what we thought he should do. Well, that's fine that they can do that, but it's too late. Because this passage says that when you put somebody in a position of leadership, if you do it too hastily, which probably would happen there, they share the responsibilities for those sins. So that other church may say we rescind uh, the ordination, but it's really too late there. They They bear some of the responsibility in what has happened there. That's why leadership is a serious thing. Not something to be taken for granted. And you don't just put people in leadership. I, I went, when I was at Dallas Seminary, uh, I just moved out there and I had a friend go into this church. And he said, won't you come to the church that I go to? I didn't know anything about the church. I, I went there uh, for a while. Later on, I went to a different church. But when I was there, it was a fairly new church. And here's how they pick leaders. They said, okay, uh, we've, got a, we've given out a, a sheet of paper to everyone. We would like you to write down some people's names who you think would be good leaders. And whoever gets the most votes, they become the leaders. That's what they did. It was a popularity contest. And whoever got the most votes became their new leaders. That's not the way it's supposed to work. So when Paul writes to Timothy, he says, listen, be real careful. Don't put somebody in leadership 
too quickly. He's going to go on in, later in verses 24 and 25 and say that in some people's lives you can see their sin and some it's later. In some people's lives you can see their good works. Sometimes it's later. So we'll talk about more of that. But from that, Paul turns to Timothy. And he spends the last of verse 22 and all of 23 personally to Timothy. And I want you to see it. Because he deals with Timothy, this is personally to Timothy, he deals with Timothy in two ways, spiritually and physically. I want you to see the end of verse 22. This is the spiritual part. He says, keep yourself free from sin. Then physically, he says in verse 23, no longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. So if you notice, in verse 22, it's spiritual. Keep yourself pure to be holy. In verse 23, it's more physical. Take some wine for your stomach problems. Let's talk about this for just a second because we're going to talk about wine. Okay, and people ask questions all the time about drinking and wine and all those kind of things. Let's start with the spiritual thing first of all, okay? He says keep yourself pure. Notice verse at the end of verse 22, keep yourself free from sin. He's telling Timothy that you need to live a righteous lifestyle. If you're going to be in leadership, and Timothy was in leadership in that church, he was the one appointing the elders. He was the one doing probably main teaching. He was the one who was going to have to deal with those teachers who were teaching wrong things. He says to Timothy, you better keep yourself pure. You better live righteously. Keep yourself from sin. There's a truth for every one of us in this room that we who know Jesus Christ as Savior, there is a charge to every one of us to live in such a way that we bring glory to Jesus Christ to keep ourselves from sin, to live pure lives, to live righteously and godly in this present age. In First Peter, Jesus said, You shall be holy, for I am holy. The Bible tells us to live righteously. We have to do that. This is a charge. Let me tell you what you need to do. Number one is you need to take a look at your life. Look at your life even now and say, listen, what are there areas in my life that I know are wrong? Are there areas in my life that I'm putting myself in situations where I could go wrong or where I could mess up? And you need to deal with that. You may make a decision that you're going to decide that you will live a godly lifestyle. That you will live your life based on the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. You have to decide that. You've heard me say over and over again, if you're not, if you're not consciously being transformed by the Word of God, you will unconsciously be conformed to the world. You have to consciously decide that you're going to live righteously, that you're going to live by the Scripture, that you're going to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you do not, you will be shaped to this world, you'll be conformed to this world, and you'll have sin in your life, and you will not be living righteously. So Paul says, Timothy, you keep yourself free from sin. Live righteously. For each of us, that's what we want to say. We've got to live righteously. Because, see, you're God's representatives. We represent Jesus Christ. We're ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech through us. We go into this community. We come in on a Sunday morning and we worship and we sing great songs and we have a good time. And then we scatter out all over this place on that campus, apartments, houses, neighborhoods, jobs, everything. We are the representatives of Jesus Christ. We have to live a certain way. Now, from there, as he's talked about spiritually, he's now going to move to physical. And he's going to talk about something. Look at verse 23. He says, No longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. So he's talking physically now. And he actually tells Timothy, Don't just drink water. In fact, go ahead and drink some wine for your stomach. People look at this and they go, Oh, he's telling Timothy to drink. Is that okay to drink? People come to me all the time. Is it okay? to drink, J.B.? Because you'll be drink. Could people drink? Are they supposed to drink alcohol or not? How does it all work? He says to Timothy, listen, don't drink water exclusively, 
but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your, notice, frequent ailments. Apparently, Timothy had some stomach problems. He had some other issues. And I want you to understand at that time, Weiss, who was a Greek scholar, says this. He says, wine was the chief agent of medicine in these times. It was. When people had upset stomach, they said, here, drink a little wine. When they did this, it it, uh, was to help prevent sickness. So I want to think about the whole idea of, of, of these kind of things. And there's two things I want you to think about. When we think about this whole issue, two things. One is the idea of medicine and the idea of wine. Because first of all, he tells Timothy to take this wine for medicine. Now you understand that people drank wine all the time then. In that culture, they drank wine. Most of the water was horrible. In fact, it was contaminated. And so the wine that they would drink normally at a meal was diluted a good bit. There was a thing called strong drink, which would be like our alcohol today, like like wine and things that people drink. But the normal alcohol that or the normal wine that they would drink was diluted a great deal. It was mostly to purify the water. So a person normally drinking at a meal, a family drinking at a meal, it was diluted. But there was strong drink. Now, the way the word that uh, Paul uses for Timothy here, and he says, you can drink a little wine, he's, he's talking about strong drink, okay? Now, let's talk about it, because there's two ways to look at it, medicine. And the thing I want you to understand is, if you need medicine, take medicine. I'm not talking about wine for medicine in a second, but let, let's, let's get this, okay? There are people today who teach you that if you're a Christian... You really don't need medicine. You don't need doctors. If you would just trust God, you'd be okay. If there's something wrong with your stomach or if you're having emotional problems, if you're having mental problems, if you're having all these kind of things, if you really just trusted God, you'd be okay. You don't need medicine. Let me tell you what. God has invented medicine for us. God has has it where that man has been able to discover things to help us. And I'm talking not only a physical way, but an emotional and mental way. If you need medicine, it is okay to take medicine. In fact, one of the verses says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of the kings to uncover that. Which literally means that God has all these things that man have. We found medicine for this and this and we found out that this works. And, and we could say, wow, God. God has allowed man to discover these things. So it's okay to take medicine. I've I've talked to Christians that were told, well, you you shouldn't go to a counselor. See, if if you really trusted God, you wouldn't need a counselor, or you wouldn't need a psychiatrist, or you wouldn't need this. Or if you really trusted God, you wouldn't have these stomach problems. Listen, if you need medicine, it's okay to take medicine. Because God has allowed us to invent these things, Okay. Now, let's talk about the second issue, and that's wine. See, alcohol is a major issue. It really is. This passage deals with wine. He actually tells Timothy to go ahead and use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and frequent illness. Now, Paul is actually telling Timothy to use wine as medicine. But let's talk about it because people always, they come to me and they say about drinking and all this. Here's what I want you to understand. The Bible does not say that it is sin to drink. It is not a sin to drink. Now, college students, people come up to me and they say, JB, is it okay if I drink? The first question I ask them is, how old are you? Right? Because don't you have to be 21? See, if you're not 21, it's against the law. If it's against the law, it's sin because the Bible says to obey the laws of our what? Government. So if you're under 21, it's a sin for you to drink because it's against the law. If you're 21 and above, then it is not a sin to drink. Now, the Bible says it is a sin to be drunk. So you have to be very, very careful when you begin to take alcohol 
or some type of drug or something like this that's going to affect you that you do not get drunk because that is a sin. I'm not going to put you under a legalistic standard that some people do and say you should never drink and, and, and that, that it's a sin to drink. I'm, you are mature and maturing people. You don't need a legalistic system that is not biblical for you to learn how to live. You're to live wisely, making application of the truths of God's word. The Bible says that it is a sin to be drunk. The Bible does not say it is a sin to drink. Jesus changed the water to wine. Is that not true? I've had people say, well, that word was was grape juice. That Jesus would never make wine. It was not grape juice. It was the word for wine. I want you to understand that. Now, let me tell you something else. Jesus made some really good wine. Okay? Here's why you know that. Because when he made the wine and they took it to the guy who was in charge of the wedding dinner and everything, he took a drink and he went, good gracious. He said, most people, you give out the very good wine first and then after everybody starts drinking a little bit, you give them the bad wine. You have saved what? The best wine for last. So to say that drinking is sin is not biblical. It takes us to the third real issue here. Because the first of all, the Bible doesn't say it's sin to drink. The Bible does say it's sin to get drunk. But the issue for believers and alcohol is our testimony. See, the ultimate goal of our lives is the glory of God. As believers, we want to have an impact for Jesus Christ. We do not want to do anything that could hurt our testimony or our ability to witness and teach others. The use of alcohol is such a gray area that each one of you must be persuaded in your own mind how you're going to deal with this issue. Listen, in certain parts of the world, in certain cultures, drinking is one way and drinking... Listen, I grew up in Mississippi. There are certain places in Mississippi that if you drank, everybody assumes that drinking is sin. So if you were to be there and you say, well, the Bible says it's okay to drink, and you drink, there would be people who look at you and say, you've done wrong. There are other parts of the world that people drink all the time, and nobody would think one thing about it. So what you have to do is realize where you are, what you are doing. Each of you must decide this issue. Now, here's the key, the testimony. You want to be able to have an effective testimony for Jesus Christ. Now, as a pastor, I made a decision a long time ago that I never drink. I never drink because I wouldn't want to drink anywhere or anything and that somebody see me and say, pastors aren't supposed to drink. He's done wrong. I thought he was a pastor. I thought he was supposed to be a guy teaching the Bible, and I saw him drinking. Even though, biblically, there's not a sin to drink. But some people don't know that. Some people don't think that way. So I made a decision years ago. I will never drink. Not because I can't, it's because I'm not going to, because I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that if I have an opportunity to have any kind of impact in somebody's life, I don't want something like this to stop it. You have to make the same decisions. Look at this verse right here. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever you eat or you drink, you do it all for the glory of God. So the next time you decide are you going to eat or you're going to drink, just make sure that you could say that I am glorifying God by what I am doing. And if you can say I'm glorifying God by what I'm doing, you're in great shape because that's what our lives are supposed to be. We all know the damage 
that alcohol has done in our culture and in people's lives. For some of you, because of some background or some things that's happened in your family, your life, you say, oh, I, I don't want to ever even touch alcohol. I, I hate it because of what happened to my uncle or my dad or my brother or me or something. And you, you say that, and that's so wise. Some others say, well, you know, none of that's ever happened to me or my family or anything. and Maybe it hadn't affected you as much. The goal for your life is that you bring glory to Jesus Christ in everything that you do. It is not a sin to drink unless you're not old enough to drink. Then it's a sin. And then even if you drink and you're old enough, be very careful. You have to be persuaded in your own mind what is going to be the wisest way for you to live so that you can bring glory to Christ. Paul says, Timothy... Listen, you got some stomach problems and some other ailments. Go ahead and drink a little wine. That should help your stomach. That's what he talked about there. Well, from this, he goes back to that issue, and I'm going to go very quickly through this. He goes back to that issue of looking at people's lives, and in verse 24, 25, he talks about examining people. And look, here's what I want you to see. Here's what he says. Some lifestyles, sin or good works, are easily seen. Some other lifestyles, sin or good works, are not easily seen. You all know that. Some people you can look at a life and you can see whether they're doing something wrong right off. And you can go, good night. Some people, they're doing things wrong. You don't even know they're doing things wrong. You can't even tell it. Maybe later on you look and you go, oh my gracious. Then on good things. You can look at some people's life and you can see them doing good and you go, boy, that's good. Sometimes they do good things. You don't even know they do good things. Some people come up and say, I want to give that to this person, but don't let anybody know that I did that. So sometimes good can be seen, sometimes it can't be seen. Sometimes bad can be seen, sometimes it can't be seen. His point is, make sure you examine a life before you put somebody in leadership. Look at verse 24. The sins of some men are quite evident. Going before them to judgment for others, their sins follow after. He says, for some, sins are easily seen. And then for others, they're not. And so, see, some sins of some are are evident, easily seen, others follow behind. You just can't see them. But then look at the next verse. Likewise, also, deeds that are good are quite evident. Sometimes when you look at somebody's life, the, the deeds, I mean, it's good. You can see it immediately. But then it says, and, and, and the others which are otherwise, which you can't see, cannot be concealed. They're going to come to pass. People are going to find out one way or the other. So he says, take time to examine. Because sometimes you can look at somebody's life and see it. And sometimes you can't. Sometimes you can see the good. Sometimes you can't. Now, there's a principle here that we talked about at the very beginning that I want to remind you of, and that's the sowing and reaping. How you live right now has an eternal result. Now, we're not talking about your salvation. You remember salvation is a gift. Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again, and offers to you eternal life. And every one of us in this room who have trusted in Christ, you have eternal life, and you're saved, and you're saved forever. Okay? We're talking now about your lifestyle as a Christian, how you live. One of these days... You will be accountable to Jesus Christ for how you've lived your life. Now, you could live your life in sin now and have it hidden. You know, some men's sins are uh, easy to see. Some men's aren't easy to see. Or you can be living good now and some people see it, some people not. For sure, one day when you stand before Jesus Christ, everything will become evident. The sowing and the reaping. Now, let me explain something to you about this judgment seat of Christ. There's a time coming and you'll stand before Jesus and it's called judgment seat of Christ. Many of you know this. I've taught this before. Some of you may never have heard this. Judgment seat of Christ, when you hear judgment, it sounds bad. But the word judgment is the Greek word bema, B-E-M-A, and it means a rewarding stand. One day you will stand before Jesus Christ and the purpose is to reward you. 
if you've lived a life in the flesh, in sin, you won't get any rewards. If you live a life glorifying God, living in the power of the Holy Spirit, seeking to make an impact for Christ, you will be rewarded. And he will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. One of these days, you will be face to face with Jesus Christ. You will stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded for the things you have done in your in this body. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. If you stand before him, your sins are not going to be brought up. Your sins have already been placed on Christ. But if you've lived in sin as a Christian, you won't have any rewards. Because living in the flesh does not produce rewards. So when you stand before Christ, 1 John chapter 2 says, you will be ashamed at His coming. Because when you stand there and the fire comes out, as 1 Corinthians 3 says, your works will be tested by fire and they'll be all burned up. And you'll go, come on in. You got nothing, but you're coming on in, right? That's true. But if you stand there and the works, the fire comes and the works remain because they're rewards, because you've lived in the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, what do you want to happen? You can't say, you know, when I'm 30 I'll, or when I'm 40, I'll start doing this or I'll start doing this. Well, I'm in college. i got plenty of time. You don't know how long you're going to live. You don't know how long, number one, you're going to live. You don't know how long before Jesus Christ comes to get us. could be any second. So when you stand before your Savior, what do you want to hear Him say? Do you want to be ashamed at His coming and everything is burned up, so to speak, and there are no rewards because you lived in the flesh? Or do you want to hear Him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You know, there's some verses. Second Corinthians 5.10, We'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded for the things we've done in this body. Romans 14.12 says, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall give praise to God. Therefore, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Hebrews 4.13 says, We'll all give an account. Nothing will be hidden. So the truth is this. The lifestyle that was sin that maybe could be easily seen or hidden, it'll come to light. The lifestyle that was good works that could be easily seen or hidden will come to light. When you stand before your Savior, everything will be known. I, I, I want to stand there. Don't you want to stand there and hear him say, well done? You don't want to be embarrassed. You don't want to be ashamed. I mean, we're not talking about, he's not going to judge you for sin. Sin has already been judged by Jesus Christ on the cross. You will never stand before Jesus Christ for your sin. But if you live in sin as a Christian, and if you don't grow and you don't make an impact, you won't have rewards. And when you stand there, you will be embarrassed and ashamed because it comes to light. Wow. May we live so we hear him say, well done. Well, this morning, what have we talked about? Paul talked about elders. He talked about uh, the pay, the discipline, the choosing of elders. He gave Timothy advice both physically and spiritually. He talked about alcohol just a little bit. He mentioned it. We talked about it. And then we talked about the elders and about lifestyle and good works and sin and what can be hidden and what can't be hidden and all those kind of things. Let me give you some applications. First one is this. Let us be biblical as we deal with elders in this body. Let's be biblical. Let's do what the Bible says. A, let's select them correctly. And what that means is you have to take time to look at people. By the grace of God, it's about every... Uh, in fact, somebody asked me this, that it, but basically September, October, November. Every September, October, November, we get the word out to the people in our body that if you'd like to nominate someone for a place of leadership, and we examine those people, and then uh, some of them are put in positions of leadership starting the next year, like starting in January. We want to select them correctly. We want to take time to examine lives. There have been many times in our church that a person is not 
nominated, and we look at them and we say, we need more time to look at your life. And what they say is, of course. And they've been, they're serving and they're going to keep on serving. We just have time to look at their life. That's the key. Second thing, if there are problems, you've got to deal with them biblically. And that means if there's some accusations, you've got to deal with them. You've got, to, you've got a public rebuke. If that has to happen, you've got to not be partial. You've got to be without bias. You've got to do all the right things. So we want to do that correctly. You know, the thing that Countryside, way back at the very beginning when I came, the whole idea was that we base our church off the Bible, not off some constitution that somebody made up, but off the Word of God. And so if the Word of God tells us to do a certain thing, that's what we try to do. That's what we want to. Second application, let's take care of ourselves. Think about it. Take care of ourselves, first of all, spiritually. We want to grow. We want to live righteously and godly. Look, i got four things here. Think about this. Examine your lives to make sure. See, what's going on in your life? Are there things you need to deal with? Decide to be holy. Decide to live righteously and godly. Decide that you're going to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. You're going to be transformed by the Word of God. And live in God's power based on the Word of God and become accountable. We all need accountability. And so that's just four things you can think about as you seek to take care of yourself spiritually, physically. Take care of yourself physically. Listen, if you need medicine, take medicine. There's nothing wrong with medicine. If you need it, you need it. If you need to go to the doctor, if you need to talk to somebody, because God is the one that has, has, has invented all those things. It's just let man discover them and put it together. The last but not least is realize that we are accountable to God. 2 Corinthians 5.10 is the verse. I think it's the next slide. Is there one? Yeah, there it is. 2 Corinthians 5.10. We want to live in such a way that we'll hear him say, well done. 2 Corinthians 5.10 is the one that says, we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. How you live right now has eternal results. You live in the power of the Holy Spirit based on the Word of God, being used by God with your gifts, talents, and abilities. There will be eternal rewards, and when you stand before your Savior, He'll say, well done. If you live in the flesh, you're not growing, you're not making an impact for Christ. When you stand before Him, you will be ashamed. It has eternal results. I talked a little bit this morning about the whole issue of alcohol. I hope it's helped a little bit. We are not a legalistic church. I know some churches that teach that it's a sin to drink. They're not being biblical when they do that. They just don't want people to drink, and they think if you tell them a certain thing, then they'll go by that. You have to be biblical. You are maturing and mature people. You have to be able to make these choices without somebody giving you a legalistic rule to live by. You have to be wise enough to know how you live your life as a godly man and godly woman in a fallen world. I trust that you make wise choices, especially dealing in the area of alcohol, that you live in such a way that when you stand before your Savior, He will say, well done. May we select and deal with our leaders biblically. May we uh, take care of ourselves both spiritually and physically. And may everything we do for the glory of God, knowing one day we're going to be accountable to Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for all the things that are here. There's just so much in this passage, Lord. We pray, Lord, that we'll... uh, We'll deal biblically with the elders in the sense that what you've taught us, Lord, we'll take care of ourselves both spiritually and physically, and we realize, Lord, that one day we'll stand before you. Lord, I pray for all of us in this room. We want to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Use us, Lord, for your glory even now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.